Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreau. I'm Sarah Blakemore. What's up today, Joe? Today, we'll be talking about heart diseases and what might cause one to need a heart transplant. Yeah, lots to delve into. Here we go. All right, guys, here on The Gifted Life, we love to hear from you. That spurs new ideas, new conversations. Uh, We partner with new experts. Thanks to you. You are our partner. Uh, We received a voicemail from a Jack Gilroy, and we want you to take a listen. Hey, guys, my name is uh, Jack Gilroy. I'm uh, listening to your podcast right now, which I really like. I'm a big fan of. Um, As a matter of fact, I'm actually a heart transplant survivor. I'm uh, 20 years old. I had a heart transplant when I was seven. I was diagnosed with dilated cardiomyopathy, and I actually just finished listening to Matthew Kutcher's podcast, and, um, you know, I know he had uh, cardiomyopathy as well, so I was able to connect real well with that. Uh, And May 26th is my uh, heart birthday, and it'll be uh, 14 years since my transplant that I had in May 2006, so um, I just wanted to call and reach out and just want to do as much as I can. So uh, I hope all is well, and thank you guys for your time. First of all, Jack, thank you. We love when people call in, and just by calling in, Jack, you created this specific episode for us. You helped to inspire us. Yeah, so you guys just heard uh, Jack Gilroy, and we've done quite a bit of podcasts focusing on kidney donation, liver donation, uh, even diabetes and pancreas donation from time to time. But we And we realized we hadn't really focused a ton on heart donation. So in this episode of The Gift of Life, we'll explore the disease process of cardiomyopathy and explain what the disease does to a heart causing the need for a transplant. Yeah, we went out, we found an expert uh, at Oshner Medical Center, one of our partners, Dr. Daniel Morin, joins us here on The Gifted Life. Hey, doctor. Hi, thank you for having me. We appreciate your time. Uh, We know that you're a cardiac electrophysiologist, so I'm going to start out. What is that? (laughs) Explain. Right. So a a cardiac electrophysiologist is a a cardiologist or a heart doctor uh, who specializes in the heart rhythm disorders, Um, of course, some of which uh, are related to cardiomyopathy, some of which aren't. But uh, in general, we take care of anything that has to do with the rhythm of the heart. So, uh, of course, working in the trans or or actually on the donation world, uh, we understand that a lot of the the transplant recipients, potential recipients, suffer from what's called cardiomyopathy. Of course, you know, one of the ways that someone can develop cardiomyopathy is uh, through rhythm issues. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about cardiomyopathy and and just the different ways of developing it? Sure. So we can, of course, concentrate on uh, on cardiomyopathy in in general, and I'll uh, and I'll be sure to sprinkle through the uh, the rhythm issues uh, as we're talking, because uh, that is my area of uh, particular expertise. Um, but cardiomyopathy in general, you know, that's a long word, and people don't often think about this. But just think about the the word. It's cardio. That's the heart, right? And myo is the muscle, and pathy is disease. So this is a disease of the heart muscle. And that can result in the heart muscle to become uh, weaker so that it doesn't uh, pump 
blood forward. Uh, it can also make it become enlarged or thick, especially sometimes it becomes so thick that it impedes the blood flowing through the heart and, you know, through the various chambers of the heart. Uh, or sometimes the heart can become uh, abnormally rigid so that it's not able to relax and accept the next load of blood that it needs to pump forward. And of course, if it can't relax in order to fill, then it certainly can't pump forward. Uh, you know, it can't squeeze to, to, to pump forward either. So is this the primary cause of someone needing that would need a heart transplant? It's a big reason, that's for sure. Um, so, of course, as the heart gets weaker or if the heart has problems with pumping the blood forward, uh, that can uh, that can make it such that the blood doesn't get around the patient's body so well, and they develop what's called heart failure, and that of course makes people feel very short of breath and being winded all the time, uh, not having any energy, uh, and in addition, it puts you at risk for dangerous fast heart rhythms, which can lead to sudden cardiac arrest and suddenly dying. And that is oftentimes when I come in as an electrophysiologist to try to prevent those bad rhythms that, that can cause sudden death. But the, you know, one of the main reasons, uh, of course, for people to require a transplant is a weakening of the heart uh, such that the heart can't do its job uh, and thereby the patient requires uh, a new heart. Dr. Morin, could you please share with us what the symptoms for cardiomyopathy are? Sure. Um, so sometimes, uh, amazingly, people don't have any symptoms at all from their cardiomyopathy. They may have a heart that is very significantly uh, weakened, but because uh, of their youth and otherwise uh, doing pretty well, uh, they may have no symptoms. We have patients who have cardiomyopathy uh, and are able to play basketball and maybe only come to our attention um, because of uh, an EKG that they have done or an echocardiogram that they have. Uh, other people do show signs uh, as the disease progresses, oftentimes as they uh, get older and maybe you know not quite as strong as they were when they were 20 years old. Uh, and as the heart, uh, as the heart weakens, um, they may develop shortness of breath or fatigue. Um, sometimes as the, if the heart is unable to pump the blood forward, it backs up the lungs. Uh, the lungs back up uh, with with fluid uh, and blood, and therefore that causes uh, the shortness of breath as well. Sometimes, uh, depending on the types of cardiomyopathy, those patients can uh, either develop lightheadedness or dizziness as a result of um, narrowing of their heart valves, uh, or from the development of arrhythmias or abnormal heart rhythms where the heart goes way too fast and that makes it sort of like the heart is not pumping any blood forward at all uh, and that can cause people uh, people to pass out uh, or if those arrhythmias last even longer um, that can result in sudden cardiac arrest and and sudden death uh, unfortunately and that's part of where uh, we come in as electrophysiologists uh, because as people um, develop their cardiomyopathy, that is a sign that they are at higher risk for developing bad, fast heart rhythms that if not treated immediately, 
that could potentially cause sudden cardiac arrest and sudden death. Uh, and under those circumstances, then oftentimes we will recommend uh, that we implant an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, or a defibrillator for short. Um, that's a device that can help to protect people from sudden cardiac arrest. I have one more question. Uh, so now mm -hmm. after working with Lopa for, I don't know, 17, 18, whatever years, I am terrified every time I have a simple cold. And it's crazy because my first thought goes straight to, oh, my goodness, I hope I don't have a, ha, somehow developed viral cardiomyopathy. So how, mm -hmm. how does that happen? It, does, it seems like something that's so benign causes so many, of course, I'm looking at it from this end, but so many uh, needs for heart transplant. Sure. Uh, well, you know, um, obviously it's not the case that every time somebody gets a cold, they develop cardiomyopathy. Otherwise, we'd all be in real bad trouble. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but sometimes, as you're pointing out, uh, when people have a viral illness, and especially with certain viruses, it does affect directly the, the heart muscle. And I don't think it's completely understood. Otherwise, we would be able to maybe detect that and treat it. Um, but oftentimes what we do find is uh, the first time that someone comes to our attention uh, as having cardiomyopathy, we find out that maybe a week earlier they had flu symptoms uh, for no apparent other reason. Um, and maybe their flu symptoms improve but maybe their shortness of breath doesn't and the swelling in their legs doesn't. And that leads us to think, well, you know, maybe there's a problem going on with their heart and we'll get an echocardiogram. Uh, and if, if we find then that they have a uh, cardiomyopathy, well, then we pay very close attention to that patient, give them the appropriate medications to help them to recover. And then if they're squeezing function of their heart remains depressed for a number of months afterwards, well, then we start going down the line of treating them appropriately for a long-standing cardiomyopathy. Well, now that I've gotten everyone else just as paranoid as I am all the time, <laughs> right. I appreciate that. Yeah, so uh, a lot of times, and I've been a nurse, just to give you my background, I've been a nurse for about 23 years or so, uh, and, you know, I've had quite a bit of conversations about heart donation, and then, and in that, oftentimes, a lot of people get confused with, like, bypass surgery. Mm -hmm. And they think immediately, well, if you've got bypass, well, why didn't you get a transplant? So can you tell us a little bit about the differences with those two? For sure. So uh, people uh, undergo bypass surgery when they have blockages in the arteries that feed their heart. Um, if there's a blockage in the arteries that feed the heart, then, of course, the blood can't get to the heart muscle, and that causes people to have chest pain and have heart attacks, for example, uh, and also to have uh, bad rhythms. Um, and a, a bypass surgery uh, is just what it sounds like. It bypasses those blockages by putting uh, a um, new blood vessel from the source of where the blood comes from, which is usually the aorta, the very large blood vessel that comes out of the heart, uh, and plugs it into the artery uh, that feeds the heart, thereby bypassing or getting blood past the blockages that um, occurred within the artery itself on the surface of the heart. Now, in contrast, of course, a heart transplant is removing the entire heart and replacing it with another heart, which has come from an, a donor. So with heart bypass, of course, you know, you, as you said, you can tie in a vessel and the heart still 
a good functioning heart at that time. And, and whereas, uh, you know, someone with cardiomyopathy, it's, it's not that easy to just resume the previous function. Uh, so, so I guess basically, uh, you know, that's, that's the big difference is what I'm hearing. Right. So that, you know, a person with, with cardiomyopathy might have that cardiomyopathy or weakness of the heart muscle uh, because of a number of different reasons. And only one of them, probably the most common one, of course, is coronary artery disease and heart attacks, which uh, can cause the heart to weaken over time. But there are lots of people who have cardiomyopathy or a weakening of the heart because of a bunch of different reasons. Sometimes people just have high blood pressure over a long period of time uh, and that causes the heart to wear out because it has, it has had to pump uh, against that very high blood pressure. Sometimes valve abnormalities uh, within the heart overload the heart because of uh, uh, the need for the heart to pump harder and pump faster and pump more. Uh, in addition, sometimes people get viral infections that inflames the heart muscle uh, and can weaken that either on a short term and the heart can get better, but sometimes that weakening uh, continues over months and years afterwards, such that the cardiomyopathy um, uh, persists, persists and, and, and continues onward. There's other things along the lines of very heavy alcoholism, obesity, and diabetes uh, that can also lead to uh, various kinds of cardiomyopathy as well. So in your time and, and you know, of course, in studying the uh, transplant world, uh, what are the biggest uh, changes. What are the biggest improvements that that's that have been made over the last 10, 15 years uh, that have allowed people to maybe either even live further uh, along without the heart transplant, or you know, to to help uh, speed up heart transplant po possibilities. Right. Well, that's a, a really good question. You know, uh, you know, heart transplants have been around uh, for decades, and they're becoming far you know more and more frequent. Um, we are always behind in terms of the number of organs that are available, uh, of course. So there are lots of people who need a heart uh, but don't have one yet. Um, so luckily, the medications that we have uh, are able to um, unload the heart somewhat by, you know, decreasing the blood pressure. Um, we can fix valves uh, in order to make it easier for the heart to pump forward the blood around the body. Uh, in addition, when uh, the heart gets too weak, even despite those therapies, another thing that we've been doing more and more frequently is actually implanting a little pump that plugs into the heart. Uh, it's an implantable pump called a left ventricular assist device or LVAD, which actually sucks a little bit of blood out of the main pumping chamber of the heart uh, and then puts it through a pump and pumps it out into the aorta, the large blood vessel that comes out of the heart. So it's sort of like having an extra heart uh, that's mechanical attached to your heart because it's uh, because your own heart is failing. Uh, and that is often used uh, as a what's called bridge to transplant, meaning putting that pump into position uh, so as to allow that patient to survive long enough uh, until a heart becomes available for them. So you're not listed here as a, a transplant surgeon, so I want to kind of bring it back to uh, what we do. So how did you get involved um, in transplant? Well, as a, as a cardiologist, uh, of course, uh, we're always um, associated with people at 
all levels of disease from when they are completely asymptomatic, maybe are having no symptoms uh, and uh, are just at risk for developing problems uh, down the line to when they do have symptoms and their heart is getting worse uh, over time. Uh, and then as we move on, you know, to people who get further towards the end stage and uh, may have to be considered for an LVAD or a transplant uh, or some of the uh, electrical therapies that we use, including putting in uh, resynchronization devices, um, which uh, are sort of like, they are pacemakers that work to synchronize the two sides of the heart in order to improve the function of the heart uh, on a day-to-day basis as well. So outside of uh, the work world, are you tied to transplant in any specific way? Well, I am, uh, unfortunately. Um, My little sister, who's uh, two years my junior, uh, is uh, currently awaiting a transplant. She herself has uh, one of these LVADs that Mm, I was just talking about. Uh, She's up in Boston, and boy, we hope that she gets uh, a heart sometime soon. Oh, we're we're working hard, certainly on our end, I can tell you, uh, you know, to, to... To spread the word, of course, that's why we've got the podcast out so more people can hear, understand donation, and then, of course, ultimately say yes so that she, among others, can get that transplant. Right. Yes, sir. Thank you for your work. Yeah, and absolutely. It sounds like you're an advocate for donation on the clinical side and now on the family side, unfortunately, but we're so happy that you're here and that you're spreading the word. Thank you. Well, we appreciate your, your knowledge, you taking the time to bring it down to a level where we could all understand. Uh, we have a lot of um, folks who are going into the medical world who use this uh, as a learning tool. So, uh, doctor, that you gave us your, your talents today, we certainly appreciate the visit. Oh, it's my, it was my pleasure. Please call uh, whenever I can help. Good. And then uh, we will um, continue to think about your, your sister and any updates. We'd love to have you back on the Gifted Life just to kind of follow that journey as well. We use this as an educational tool. So um, if, if there's any opportunity, we'd like it. Sure. So maybe, uh, maybe after she gets her transplant, um, maybe uh, you'd like to talk to her as well. Yes. All right. We'd, we'd like that. Thank you, Dr. Morin with Oshner Medical Center. Here on the podcast, we take a moment for mental health with Sarah. Yeah, we're continuing our conversations on self-care, and today's focus is on mindfulness, which is the opposite of what my wife says about me. <laughs> mindless. <laughs> yeah, delivery. So, it's all in the delivery. Uh-huh. So we're going to talk about mindfulness. So first of all, what is mindfulness? I think a lot of times people think meditation, which is really impossible to do. Unless you're a guru. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a really easy way to simplify meditation is to practice mindfulness, which is an, uh, it's a state of active, open attention on the present. So essentially what mindfulness is, is being totally focused on what you're doing, the thoughts you have, the emotions you're feeling in the moment. So put my phone down. So put yes. your phone down. Correct. <laughs> Stop waiting to talk. Absolutely. You know, focus on the moment. Listen. Listen. Right. And so, you know, there's a lot out there that shows that if you can practice mindfulness, the more you practice being totally focused on what you're doing in that moment, the happier you'll be because you're more focused. Your mind's not in three different places at once. 
and you're able to give the attention that you need and that others need for you. Well, mm-hmm. now I get it because my attention is three three ways at once yes, or five. all the time. And, and then in that Same. moment, my wife says, stop being mindless. Or she <laughs> says other words, but that's uh, so what it amounts to. Got a lot of stuff going. And then I have children everywhere. everywhere. When I, and so I, take ta- I try to take time with each one, but... Um, you when feel you're guilty. with it's them, not enough time, and uh, you know, right? Or when you're with them, you're thinking about what do you have to cook right. for dinner, oh, yeah. or what do you have to do for this? And I've just stopped cleaning or yeah. cooking, and that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, <We> just order. <laughs> yeah, sorry to your husband. <laughs> right. But but essentially, it's you know, it's impossible to do this all day, every day. Yeah. So picking maybe one or two things a day that you can be totally mindful. Um, a lot of, I know you said, Joey, mindless, but a lot of activities that are mindless, let's rephrase and think of them as mindful. So when you're cooking and you're chopping vegetables, it can seem pretty boring or mindless, but instead think of it as mindful and give your total attention to the thoughts you're having, what you're doing in that moment. Sounds very zenish. I feel like I'm like going to need some uh, help with that. Is there an app for that? Apps. There's yeah. an app for everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the apps I like, um, one is Headspace. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, that it's getting your, head, getting your head in that space. <laughs> so another one, too, is um, even if you just listen to relaxing melodies, there's an app called Relax Melodies. If you just put on a certain melody while you're doing something and focus on that or focus on it's just getting you in that space of calm being mindful of what you're doing i have to do that before bed like i need to yeah. like stop everything slow everything so this brain can shut down absolutely yeah it's hard this these things we're talking about in self-care they're not easy you know right. this is difficult but if you can give three minutes a day even i know another pra- a good practice for mindfulness is when you're eating totally focus on your eating don't have your phone out checking emails, making your calls. You know, it's be totally oh, focused man, that's on. That's when I get stuff oh. done, yeah. Sarah. I know, but if you can do 20 minutes a day where when you're at lunch, you just focus on taking a bite, lunch. chewing, yeah. doing it. It's uh, That's mindful practices that you can do every day. So, I like to watch cute puppies, well, like just <laughs> running around, having fun. Like that calms I me. was thinking, well, every time I sit down to eat, I think my coworkers realize, okay, he's sitting down to eat, so... I get barrage for the next 20 minutes. And oh, I did that just yesterday. My bad. Sorry about that. All right. Good tips, though. You know, it's all about learning and, uh, you know, a new me. Yeah. Bettering yep. yourselves. There being you more go. successful. Right. You. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Sarah. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Chloe Esquivel. We learn about Chloe from her family. Chloe registered as an organ donor because it simply made sense to her. She was my sweet daughter, and although I miss her terribly, I am happy for the three recipients that are able to live on because of her. She was only 25 years old when she gave the most amazing gift a person could give. And now we pause and say thank you to Chloe for the gift of life. our question and answer segment today got one from our own team so we heard from dr moran earlier about a bridge to transplant so i'm wondering joe if you can tell us what that means well uh in this situation a uh, bridge to transplant it's not a permanent solution uh he talked about the lvad the left ventricular assist device and uh, which can be implanted and what this has enabled 
in the transplant world is a lot of hearts, a lot of heart patients, the hearts decompensate quickly. And in the past, these patients didn't make it. And what this changes is that you hook them up to the LVAD and it can extend their life at least for a period of time until their perfect match arrives. That way they can then get the heart transplant and live for up to 25, 30, you know, or, or beyond. I love it. We're always learning here on The Gifted Life. Now, listen, we want to hear from you. You can email your questions to us, info at thegiftedlife.org, or you can do like Jack did. Give us a call at number 504-648-3477. And like Jack, we may even play your message here on the podcast. And that's episode 112 of The Gifted Life. Yeah, happy heart birthday to Jack. Yay! And thanks for calling into the podcast. And also, thanks to Dr. Daniel Morin for explaining a little bit about cardiomyopathy and the need for heart transplant. You can find out more about what we do here at thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find our podcast. And on social media, like our page on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast, and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. I know we're throwing a lot of info at you right there, but we want you to have all the information you can. This is a one-stop shop. And listen, maybe you want to register to become an organ tissue and eye donor. Registerme.org. It's just that simple. Now you're part of our team. We appreciate you listening. Go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Joey Boudreau and Lori Steele. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs> <laughs>